Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And Amy has a little something for you in a moment, but just off the bat, if you're joining us for the first time ever, or for the first time in a while, I just want to let you know that we are in the middle of a series about Shakespeare's history plays. And this episode, like if you're just doing research on Henry IV Part Two and just want to look at that play for school reasons or something, it'll make sense that's the play that we're covering. But if you want like a broader context of like the history and the overall like story that Shakespeare's trying to to tell, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the previous two episodes first. And if you are joining us and you only want to know about the play and not about what happens in our lives, I suggest you move forward about three minutes. (laughs) Okay, Amy, tell us your clean language. (laughs) So my friend that I usually have these clean language about, like her house, she's away again. And I do laundry at her house because it's free. Um, whereas I have to pay $6 a load in my apartment. So I'm at her house and I'm, you know, doing laundry and I'm like, ah, there's so much like fabric softener residue. I'm going to clean this off, right? Like from like the inside of the machine, like on the fabric softener dispenser thing. Yeah. So I take it out and I'm like, ah, this is going to be such an easy quick fix. It's going to take like five seconds. It did not. And then I see that the inside of the agitator is caked with fabric softener residue and other water deposits. So this is like through no no fault of her own because like this is just washing machines. Like they need to be cleaned and like she rents this house thing. So like it's not even her real machine. So of course she doesn't like know what to do with it or want to do anything with it. Sure. So anyways, I'm here and I'm like scrub-a-dub-a-dubbing the like actual container <laughs> where you put the fabric softener in and then I'm like looking at this like the center console of the agitator and I'm like what am I going to do with this so here's what you're going to do you're going to go to Walmart or whatever department store you have near your house and you're going to buy some laundry machine cleaning tabs and you throw them in there did not know that was a thing that is a thing all right and you're going to grab a toilet brush a new toilet brush the face I'm making no (laughs) no no like one that you don't use for your toilet silly goose one that you're going to use specifically for this hear me out just skeptical as to where this is going so in the center of the agitator there's like this long column that like fills up with water and it's full of gunk so what you're gonna do is you're gonna take this toilet brush cleaner and you're gonna clean it like it was like a bottle you know like you can have like bottle brushes Uh like that so you're gonna clean that so this is an upright washing machine correct that wasn't clear no i don't know (laughs) maybe it was and i wasn't paying attention so you put that in there and then you scrub dub dub because it is gunky and then you rinse it and you scrub dub dub and it's gunky and it's fine and it's whatever and then you put the washing tab in the washing machine and you put a little bit of the washing tab in the center agitator because it's gonna need it and then you do a big clean cycle and then bada bing bada boom you have a clean washing machine that's gonna let your clothes smell good (laughs) and feel nice. And the lesson we learned today is that fabric softener is evil. Yeah, no, I was going to say that my clean language is don't use fabric softener because fabric softener is 100% a scam that both deteriorates the quality of your clothes and costs money for no reason. And also damages your machine. <laughs> yeah, a better thing that you can do if you want to like have a little extra oomph is add vinegar to all your loads, which also gets rid of the musty smell from stuff. Just like a little tiny cup of vinegar. I'm going to stop you there. Okay. Because it's contraindicated because it can um, damage the gasket. Oh, all right. Well, don't do 
that. Don't listen to anything I say. Don't do that. But like you don't you don't need fabric softener. If you really feel like your clothes is like too staticky or whatever, you can use a dryer sheet. Yeah. It's not great, but it's better. Yeah. There's also like rubber balls and stuff that you can throw in there. All right. Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad that people are going to have a way out from the fabric softener industry's iron <sighs> grip holds on all of us. Never again. Do we want to hop, skip and jump into this play? I get. Well, do we have a choice? We've promised them Henry the Fourth <laughs> Part Two. So Henry the Fourth Part Two. Here we are. So where we left off, King Henry the Fourth's army has just won a battle against the rebels, who were led by the Percy family, Hotspur specifically. And the Percy family is Hotspur. He was actually at the battle. Daddy Percy, also known as the Earl of Northumberland, who did not send his troops because <coughs> I'm sick, and Thomas Percy, who is Hotspur's uncle and daddy percy's brother imagine a percy that's not named henry (laughs) i know wild and the reason that they lost is a lot of it is because more than half of their troops didn't show up in addition to daddy percy not sending his troops the troops from wales just did not go because hotspur was being really rude to them the entire time because he was rude to gwendolyn glendamir glindawir glindawir or sometimes i've seen it spelt out glindower that makes sense i guess that seems like an English rejigging of it, so that would check it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually don't know how to pronounce anything Welsh, so um, I could have just been getting it wrong this entire time. We apologize to the Welsh people. <laughs> we do deeply. In addition, King Henry IV's son, who is currently named Hal, has killed the leader of the rebellion. Hotspur, who is also named Henry Percy. So the play starts off. It's like barely a start. It's like one of those fake starts. This play is cushioned in like a fake start and a fake end. The fake start is like this fake character named Rumor coming out and talking. And then the fake end is a like narrator who's not a character being like, I'm sorry, this play. I'm sorry if it was bad. I hope that it wasn't too bad for you. And I hope that you liked it. And also the queen is really rad, which is like a thing that they used to do a lot. I forgot how weird this play was because i know like henry v has the chorus which is kind of like a weird one-off yes i love the chorus i forgot that this play also had some of this like funky town stuff going on yeah it's like just at the beginning and the end i think so the beginning starts off with rumor who is like my job is to just mess people up and I'm going to go around and tell people lies and like sow dissent where there isn't any and like give people false hope when there isn't any. And it's really easy. This seems heavy handed. Yeah, <laughs> it's really easy because all of you dumb people in the audience right now just go and yabber yabber your whole mouth and you don't know the truth. So that's all on you guys. And anyway, then <laughs> that seems to be in, like influenced by the current political atmosphere of the time some would say yeah this whole thing is very heavy-handedly like trying to get into queen elizabeth's favor Mm -hmm. as you do as you do so rumor is visiting hotspur's dad daddy percy to tell him that hotspur won and is alive and then whoa who shows up is a messenger to tell him that hotspur's army won and he is alive and he killed hal and king henry the fourth is injured and all the troops 
ships are like captured or dead and they're like just on top of the world. And Daddy Percy is like, this is such a relief because like I did not send anybody. So that would have been super awkward if they like all died. Thriving. And then a second messenger shows up and is like, oh, correction, amendment. Um, They actually lost really terribly. And the first messenger is like, no, that doesn't sound right. And then a third messenger shows up and he's like, yes, actually, I can attest that they did lose terribly and also that Hotspur got killed <laughs> by Falstaff, as we all know. Also, all the allies fled immediately after that happened. And also the Earl of Worcester, Uncle Percy, and um, the leader of the Scottish troops, whose name is Douglas, have been captured. Right. So my question about this scene is why did they send three people so close together, like one after the other? Like that you have to assume that the travel time is, is fairly similar. It's not like the first one was really slow, right? So why did they... I feel like this is one of those like, you know, when you have an email and you write an email to your boss or whatever and you're like hey where's this thing i missed this thing i don't know where it is and then you find it and then you're like never mind i found it what it is and then you're like wait no i don't understand this thing i found it but i don't understand and then you have to like cold call your boss because you're like you have five emails for me in your inbox and none of them are important because i'm gonna talk to you about them now you know i feel like that's what happened with these messengers i yeah i feel like these messengers need like a teams chat or something yeah or like a slack a slack group anything because really what they're doing is they're like sending like three messengers in the span of five minutes and I feel like you could have just waited five minutes to be sure and then just sent one guy well I guess like if you're like oh like everything's fine but we're gonna need reinforcement you send a guy and you're like go tell them that we need reinforcements and then you hope for the best but then like things keep happening so you're like go stop those reinforcements <laughs> I guess Ixnay on the reinforcements <laughs> yeah so we're all dead and captured whoops <laughs> <laughs> so daddy percy's really sad about this he's having a bad time he vows revenge and he talks with the messengers who they're not just messengers they're also like guys who are like allied with him <laughs> they're also people <laughs> they're also they're not just like but you know what i mean they're not just like yeah. underlings of the main guys they are the main guys yeah so he talks to them about like what they're gonna do next and about how the archbishop of york who if you'll remember i mislabeled this guy the duke of york last time but i did mention him they were trying to get him on their side because he was mad that the king had murdered his brother and he is still upset about that what's his name again he's the archbishop of york but i think in the play his name is william scroop which makes him related to one of the inner courtier circle from king richard ii okay but also like historically he wasn't his brother he was his cousin cool so yeah he's still mad that the king executed his brother and he's still planning an attack so northumberland daddy percy is like maybe we can hump we can hop on (laughs) that Maybe we can hump. Maybe we can hop on that little gravy train. We cut to Falstaff. He's still around. He's still going to be a person in the play. Contrary to popular belief, he did not (laughs) die during that battle. Even though he died and then came back to life, he did not die. Falstaff is the Jesus. Yes. (laughs) 
Happy Easter. <laughs> That's even funnier because of the argument that I'm going to make in the next play about Hal Henry V being Jesus. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. So Hal's let him take the credit for killing Hotspur, and that has allowed him to rise in rank. And he's now very busy and important. As you can see, for instance, he is currently waiting on the results for a urine test and also finding out about a new suit that he ordered. So that's, as you can imagine, right in the same line of seriousness as the whole rest of the play. Why are we testing his urine and how? Um, I'm going to guess it's for STIs because he is like always at the brothel. Yeah, but how did they test for that back then? I think they just look at it and smell it. <laughs> Okay. Maybe they drop something into it. I don't know. It's a weird scene. Maybe they taste it. No, no. We don't need to go there. <laughs> and then the Lord Chief Justice comes in and he's like, you still did a robbery. And Falstaff's like, mea culpa. And then Lord Chief Justice is like, all right, I'm going to let you off with a warning this time. And then we cut to the Archbishop of York. That was a very important scene. <laughs> this play has so much <laughs> B-plot. <laughs> Yeah. The only reason that I even brought that scene up is because the Lord Chief Justice has now interacted with Falstaff and he's going to come back as if he has interacted with Falstaff before. Cool, 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 cool. But yeah, I cut a lot of unnecessary stuff out of this submarine. So we cut back to the Archbishop of York. He is with his three allies. Those allies are Thomas Mowbray. If you'll recall from Richard II, that was the guy at the very beginning who was fighting with Henry Bolingbroke before he became King Henry IV about how like Henry thought Mowbray basically did everything bad for like the last several decades yes. and Mowbray and he both got banished together by Richard II. Yes. We also have Lord Hastings. I don't really know who he is and I don't think he's that important. And we have Lord Bardolph, who was the first messenger who told Daddy Percy that Hotspur won in the first seat of this. Cool. They all argue about if Daddy Percy, I'm not going to stop calling him that. No, that's fine. That's the best name for him. Will send his troops to fight with them because that would basically like they're saying make or break their rebellion at this point. So they're like, if he will fight, then we will also fight. But if he's not going to, then we might as well not. And Hastings is like, yes, he will, obviously, because he's mad about Hotspur dying. So he's going to want revenge. And the others are like, okay, but pay attention to the fact also that Hotspur only died because he did not send his troops the first time and backed out at the very last second. So he could do that again. Yes. And he is he is going to do that because he is going to later tell his wife and Hotspur's widow named Catherine that he's going to send in his troops. And Catherine's like, okay, but I want you to remember that my husband and your son is absolutely dead because of you, because you didn't send in your troops. And there's really no point now because he's already dead and he's not going to be undead if you do that. And I think it's important to note here that Hotspur's kid was nine months old. Yes. So he's left behind a wife who we didn't talk about in the last one, but was like very intensely in love with him and a new baby. Yeah. Who is now this is going to be the second Earl of Northumberland for those keeping track. <laughs> Do you still have your family tree up, Amy? I have three open. Oh my God. Okay. So in the end, after all this discussion, they decide, you know what? It doesn't matter after all, because either way, the king's army is already stretched. He's also fighting in Wales and he's also fighting 
fighting in France. So basically, we would only be going up against like a third of his army right now. And like, it doesn't really matter if we have a third guy in his troops who they will not have. Then we cut back to Falstaff. He is hanging out in the tavern and the tavern hostess, Mistress Quickly, has called the cops to arrest him over his unpaid debts. He gets into a fight with them. And then the Lord Chief Justice walks in and he's like, I just told you not to do this. I told you like, be a good normal person. And now you're doing this and you're fighting with cops in a tavern. I just don't understand. Over bar debts? I don't get it. The Chief Justice is like, what did I say? <laughs> what did, what I, did I literally just say? just say? He's like the prince from Romeo and Juliet. Yes. What did I just freaking say? He is the only adult in this play again. Which is saying some things because cops. So he's like, everyone break it up and Falstaff, you have to pay your debts. And Falstaff convinces Mistress Quickly that actually he should not pay his debts and instead she should lend him more money and also she should let him have a nice dinner with his favorite sex worker at this tavern whose name is Doll. How hot was Falstaff though? Because like he's getting away with a lot. They constantly body shame him. Yeah, well that's what I'm like I'm confused. Like yeah. Does he just have a great personality? No, he does not have a great personality. I think we have established this over the last two plays. But like I feel like something's <laughs> got to be giving here. Like he's not even rich. He's got like advantage on every charisma throw. Mm, he's just rolling nat 20s. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, roll for persuasion. And it's like a nat 20. And the DM's like, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he does this, but everyone just listens to basically everything he says. So then he gets a message from the king. Uh, the king is returning from a fight in Wales with the rebels over there. And he wants Falstaff's help facing Daddy Percy and the Archbishop of York. And then the Lord Chief Justice is like, okay, you need to wrap this up, hit the road, because you're going to need to like conscript the troops that you need to fight with you along the way. Right. Do you think because... he's going to do that? No. Or do you think he's going to pawn that off on some really incompetent people. Oh gosh, this is not going to go well at all. <laughs> so we cut to hell. He is talking about his old tomfoolery with his old friend Poins and telling Poins about how Poins was such a bad influence and so was Falstaff and so were their other friends. And also Poins, you're a bad guy and I have no responsibility in this whatsoever. And I need to be a serious prince now, which I would have done the whole time if it weren't for you guys. And we also find out in this scene that the king is ill. And then Hal gets a silly little little letter from Falstaff that's basically just hello prince and also good day and also adieu and farewell and you are the best and it just doesn't say anything because that's Falstaff that's like when you write a birthday card to somebody you haven't spoken to in forever and you're like I hope you are well miss you have a great year love <laughs> when someone like sends you an invite on LinkedIn that you haven't talked to since high school. Hi, I have an interesting opportunity. <laughs> Hope you're well. Contact me soon. Very cool. And then Hal's like, oh my god, this is definitely a pyramid scheme. <laughs> no, so Hal gets the letter and he reads it and he decides immediately like, oh, my new idea is that we should go spy on Falstaff at this tavern at his dinner that he said he was going to with Doll. So they go to the tavern. Wait. Wait. So he's going to be spying on his friend? Yes, and he's a very serious prince. Right. This is <laughs> this is 
not the same as when he decided to be a thief. No, because then he he was supposed to be a very serious prince and now he is a very serious prince. Right, because he killed Hotspur and got all his virtue. Yes, yes. Okay, cool. Good. Uh, that's how it works. So they go to the tavern and Falstaff's friend Pistol comes to visit and everyone in the tavern is like, you cannot let Pistol in here. Pistol is the worst news. This guy is like not a good time. He will mess everything up immediately. He's going to try to start fights. You can't let him in here. And Falstaff's like, no, he won't. You guys are being stupid. And he comes in and Pistol immediately starts a fight with Doll. And Falstaff's like, oh no, that's my girl. And so he and his friend have to like tackle him out of the tavern we could have had it all (laughs) and this is only relevant because pistol's gonna come back later after we've all forgotten that he exists right but with a name like pistol how could you i did not look up if guns existed in shakespeare's era but in the adaptation from bbc that i saw of this he had a gun and was like shooting so i don't know so it seems like they existed at least in the 1300s oh wow okay but that seems to be like cannon type guns okay actual like true guns Uh uh-huh like pistols yeah seems to have emerged in the late 1200s in china okay but there was a thing before that called the fire lance okay um and then the classic gun which is different was around the 1480s so like guns existed okay since at least like a while like gunpowder was ex- was invented in the ninth century so like it's been Good to know. it's been a thing and for all the navy people out there i'm aware that guns need to be on ships we're using them the term firearms here thank you yeah there are a lot of anachronistic themes and like ways people talk and behave in this that would be more relevant to like Shakespeare's era that he's just like plunk into this play about the 1400s but that's not one of them I guess cool so then Doll is like oh my hero and she sits on his lap and like flirts with Falstaff and asks about his friend and he's like gently ribbing Hal and Poins to talking about how they're like stupid and stuff just like you know guys being dudes it's not anything malicious and Hal and and points are dressed up as servers so they like jump out of their disguises because they are superman and you cannot tell who they are if they put on different clothes you can never see timothy chalamet as anything other than timothy chalamet <laughs> i started watching that movie it's very strange mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and Hal's like how dare you say such things about me those very serious things that you said i can't believe that you're such a terrible friend and person and uh uh, he like gets genuinely mad at him. Uh, and I'm sure that's not going to come back to bite Falstaff in the butt. We'll see how that goes. So while that's going on, some messengers come and they tell Hal, Poins, and Falstaff that the king is currently back and Falstaff has lollygagged for too long. They all need to get back to the castle to see the king and Falstaff needs to get to the war effort. So Falstaff has a actually nice goodbye moment with the hostess that he's been pissing off and with Doll, and then they all leave. I don't know if I should be mad or like okay with the fact that her name is Doll. you know? Why? Because she probably gave herself that name. Yeah, it's probably like a stage name type situation. Yeah. A pseudonym, if you will. A pseudonym if you want to as well. I mean, if you want. (laughs) 
So at the king's castle, the king, Henry IV, is moping around about how he has insomnia and even poor people can sleep and this king can't sleep and oh, heavy is the head that wears the crown and I know that poor people definitely are having a better time than I am right now. Imagine this line, heavy is the head that wears the crown, coming from a bout of insomnia. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a really famous line. It sounds deep, doesn't it? Yeah, you're like, oh my gosh. It doesn't like, sound like someone who's on three NyQuil's. Like, you are you think it's about a guy who like has to make like this really big decision about like, is this guy going to keep living or not? You know, like it seems like a life or death situation, but yeah. it's just like a sleep and consciousness. <laughs> it's just being like, I have so much anxiety. It's like, yes, we all do. He's going on 48 hours. The bags under his eyes now cost 30 cents a piece and he just is coming up with these random things yeah so that's fun has he tried to stopping to use screens before bedtime by any chance um i don't know i don't know if anyone told him that that hot tip i think he should and also only going to bed when you're actually sleepy um Mm. and making sure you're in a cool room but you have warm blankets yeah if you need to use screens throughout the day like maybe try some blue light filtration glasses or something yeah and also not opening up the big overhead lamps we suggest using candles oh yes and um get a good amount of fresh air and exercise and also maybe some chamomile tea i think someone should give him all of those hot tips <laughs> sleepy language with <laughs> uh, some attendants come in to talk about what they will do if daddy percy attacks and they do not know that he is absolutely not going to i fucking love that we call him daddy percy he is already decided i know right it's northumberland but i like didn't want to keep writing that in my notes um so henry talks about how at one point him and daddy percy were friends and pals they were pals even buddies you would say uh and he remembers that Richard said that this guy would turn on Henry back in the first play. You'll remember he said that. And oh my gosh, he was right. It's amazing how great everyone's like prediction skills are when they're characters in a history play about stuff that has already happened. It's almost like this is fiction. <laughs> Historical fiction, some would say. Falstaff is just in the corner being like, hi, I don't actually exist. <laughs> so King Henry reminds us that he did want to go on the Crusades. The crusades he keeps mentioning this throughout the play and the end of it he's like in a room called jerusalem so he's like i finally made it but no he does not go on the crusades because he's warring again and he's too sick because of the insomnia you need to sleep to rest to heal probably yeah that probably is he just dies of the common cold the tiktoks are keeping him up at night he dies of tiktok Um, so out in the country, we meet two successful farmland owners. They're very serious. Their names are Justice Shallow, who yammers on about stuff all the time. And Justice Silence, who is not silent, but doesn't like add anything to the conversation other than like answering direct questions. Okay. Justice Shallow and Justice Silence are cousins. On their mother's side, clearly. That me. <laughs> what are you implying by that? Well, they don't have the same last name. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, so Justice Shallow is an old like college friend of Falstaff's. And he's talking about like old times with Falstaff, and then whoa, who walks up? It's Falstaff. <laughs> 
always there when you need him. Good old Paul Staff. Right when you talk about him, it's like he is actually not Jesus, but the devil. If you talk about him, he will appear. I mean, okay, but he rose from the dead. Sure. (laughs) Make it that what you will. But he's about to fall. So is he Lucifer? That's my new interpretation. Falstaff is Lucifer. If you want to steal that for an essay topic, have at it. Please send it to us. I would love to read that analysis. So um, what they've done, I don't know why they've done this because they didn't seem to know that Falstaff was coming, but they have gathered recruits for him for the war. Oh, maybe there was a messenger. Oh, maybe. Mm, Yes. So that's that's probably why he's on their mind. Like this whole thing is just a farce. Very, very silly. The characters they've gathered are Moldy, Shadow, (laughs) Wart, Feeble, and Bullcalf. These just sound like dogs. They do. They do, don't they? Yeah, like bad dog names. Yeah, they don't sound like human names. So Falstaff is like, great, I love having four out of five very weak men for my team. So he like goes to conscript them. And then the strongest guy, Bullcalf, and also Moldy. Yeah, because Mold is very important. Very important. They bribe their way out of joining the army. Of course. So basically he picks like the three weakest men. And then Shallow is like, I can't believe you're picking like not the strongest guys that I brought for you. I brought for you such good guys. And Falstaff, so wise, is like, there's more in life than physical strength. (laughs) He knows all of this because he killed Hotspur. Indeed, because he has absorbed the wisdom qualities (laughs) that Hotspur was notorious for. (laughs) And uh, yeah, the things that are more in life to Falstaff are cash money, get your cash money. Yeah. Yeah. So Falstaff leaves with his guys that he's conscripted now. And he's like, oh, just as shallow. That guy's so dumb. But at least he's rich and he decides he's going to like borrow money from him and use him for his money later. Sounds about right. Yeah. Very classic Falstaff. So in the war zone in Yorkshire, the rebel army is getting ready and the Archbishop of York and his two guys get word that Daddy Percy is not coming. Oh my Mm. God. Finally, somebody found out. Thank goodness. Daddy Percy not showing up again. I feel like his communication skills could be better because he knew like a long time ago that he was not going to come. Yeah, but why would he like tell anyone anything when it doesn't benefit him? I guess. (laughs) We also find out that Henry is sick. Henry the fourth. Like actually sick or just like his insomnia? No, he's actually sick. Everyone's been talking about how he's sick this whole time. I think you just have been interpreting that that's the insomnia. I just want to know what he's sick of. Is it the plague? illness. The bubonic? He's very sick of illness. And his younger son, John, is leading an army there. Oh, who he named after his dad. Cute. John of Gaunt. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So by now we know Henry's MO. His whole thing is he offers the other side whatever they want and then waits for everything to fall in his lap. So we can assume that John's going to take this same strategy. Okay. So a messenger comes to say that Prince John will grant any reasonable demands that they have. And Mowbray's like, this seems sus. I don't think they are going to grant our demands. And everyone's like, no, it's not sus. It's fine. This is his MO. So they give their demands and Prince John looks at them and he's like, yep, this all looks good. You can have all of this. And the rebel leaders are like, great. Okay, army, you can all go home. And they sit down to have a drink. And John's like, yes, now we can embrace as brothers and friends. Here are all our wines. We're all going to have a good time and no rebellion today. And then the messenger comes and he's like, yep, all the armies are gone. And John's like, all of you are now arrested. This is great. (laughs) So that's a big plot twist. Henry has not done that. It's a little off script for this family. Mm -hmm. And so now they have 
have no army. They can't fight back. And they're like, how could you do this? And he says that he promised to address their demands, not to keep them alive. Oof. I know. So it's like obviously like super dishonorable in the time and everyone complains about it for the rest of the play. But also like if this were a modern story, yeah. they would have just asked for like impunity because that's always like the first demand is like, we want to be like, we want you to give us a bag of unmarked bills and a helicopter and not come after us. And then here's all this other stuff that we want. So yeah, off with their heads, they're dead. Falstaff hears about all this. And he talks about how John has like no compassion and he got that from his father. His father also is like lacking in qualities. And thank goodness that Hal washed away all that bad stuff yes. with his drinking. Oh my God. <laughs> his much, much drinking he did in his youth. I'm like convinced that Falstaff always understands like 30% of what's going on. Well, he doesn't need to understand any more than that. He like gets almost all of the way there and then he's like, and it was because they didn't drink enough and that's why they're bad. I mean, he's he's supposed to be a fool, right? So like, it makes sense. Yeah, he is Jason from The Good Place. <laughs> he is Jason from The Good Place. <laughs> so, whoa, suddenly the king has taken very ill. Who could have seen this coming? We've only been talking about it for the entire play. Hal gets to his room just as he's fallen asleep and he sits next to his sleeping father and talks about how the crown next to him was such a burden and he like looks upon it as an enemy and then the king like stops breathing and Hal's like oh my god this is so sad now this has taken his life and now it's my burden also and he like takes the crown and he puts it on his head and he like steps out to cry by himself and then the king wakes up and he's like yo what the hell He, like, figures out what's going on. He's like, are you kidding me? I don't know where I heard the story, but I heard a story about, like, someone whose family, like, went around their house when they were elderly, like, putting post-it notes on the stuff that they wanted. So, like, everyone had a color post-it note and they were, like, sticking the colored post-it notes on the stuff that they wanted. And that's what the king feels like Hal is doing. Yeah. I mean, that is what he's doing. That is what he's doing. Correct. But in, like, he's not doing it the way the king thinks he's doing it no but still he like did snatch up that crown real quickly but like he was sad about it he was like oh no yeah (laughs) so he comes back into the room and the king's like you're a a terrible son you're gonna be a terrible king we heard this same speech in henry the fourth part one as well and hal did the same thing and he talked his way out of it and he's like no i didn't like snatch up the crown i was actually just thinking about the crown and i look upon the crown as my enemy and i was overwhelmed with grief and this was such a heavy burden for you and i'm so sad and i wish that you had lived like a less stressful life and stuff and Henry the fourth is like, you're gonna go far, kid. And then he dies. Yes. R.I.P. R.I.P. Indeed. So Hal now becomes King Henry the fifth. So he goes and he changes. He does like a costume change and he comes out in the fancy robes like um, King George and Hamilton. I knew exactly where you were going for this and I (laughs) I had it in my head. I was like, don't sing it. Don't sing it. Don't sing it. I said it. I was like, you'll be back. And I was like, no, don't do it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So he comes out and the chief justice is there and Hal is like, hey, chief justice, 
Remember when I was just a prince and I was such a wayward son and you like scolded me for everything that I did and you like locked me up in jail that one time because I was breaking the law and now I'm king and now I'm your boss and the chief justice is like, I, I do remember that. Um, let me explain that your dad was the king and I was just carrying out his wishes. And of course, I would carry out your wishes now that you're king. Mm-hmm. And Hal's like, yep, you're actually 100% right. Uh, you, you've done a great job. Thanks for doing that. I hope that you'll keep my sons in line also. And here's a raise and stuff. He, I don't know what he says about the race, but he's like, I want you to like be my mentor and like show me the, I don't know. He gives him more responsibilities, but not more money, of course. So meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Yes. Falstaff has been partying it up with shallow and silence in the country. Of course he has. Pistol shows up. Pistol! Welcome back, buddy. We all remember Pistol. Notorious Pistol. He is there to tell them that King Henry IV is dead. We now have a new king. And that is Hal, who is King Henry V. Cool. R.I.P. King Henry. Long live King Henry. So Falstaff is like, oh, so sad for the king. But anyway, this is great because Hal is like my BFF. And I am definitely going to have like so much power in the court now. And also everyone here, especially the people I just met or haven't talked to for 20 years, you can all have high positions in the court as well because we're all drunk together right now. And they all join him to ride to London except silence who has become very drunk and belligerent and loud. Not living up to his name no more. No, very plot twist. I don't know why you're surprised. He has been jolly a grand total of three times in his life. (laughs) I would love to say that's my joke, but that's a joke from the play. I'm just, I'm thinking of, so in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there's when they have to work the night shift because they pissed off the police commissioner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Holt is like, Kevin hasn't seen me smile in days. And one of the characters, I think it's Terry or Jake, he's like, oh, like, do you smile often? He's like, constantly. (laughs) Which is funny. That's adorable. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, so um, right before they arrive, I don't know why we get this scene, but we get a scene where we see like the tail end of Doll and Mistress Quickly being dragged off to jail because Pistol beat a guy up in their tavern and that guy died right uh and this does not come back on pistol at any point i think cool i guess so all the guys roll up including the now outlaw pistol who's gonna get no consequences i think and they line up to greet the new king henry v on his way to his coronation the artist formerly known as hal shows up and he's like who are these guys I don't know these guys. I once dreamed of an old, fat, ridiculous man named Falstaff, but I hate that dream now. And he basically just craps all over them. Really, really mean. This is what, like, I think we've been, like, leading up to it, right? Of, like, Hal's not, like, a great person. (laughs) And I think we need to keep that in mind going forward. I feel like the audience is supposed to sympathize with Hal here, Henry V. Yeah. Because... Heavy is the head that wears the crown. We know, we know. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, indeed. But also, he's kind of a dick. He is. He is being a dick. Some would call him a Richard. Some. (laughs) Some would. (laughs) But he's like, Falstaff is the fool. So he can't be friends with the king. It's just not done. And I think audience members in this era, when it was written and played, would have been like more sympathetic to that because they're more familiar with like the decorum. But yeah, he is being a Richard. I just like... 
you have all these people around you and now you're all like, you know what, I'm a changed man. Like, mm, do you have to be? Yeah, it seems kind of put on. He is a changed man. Like his character totally does a 180 for the rest of this. But it's like, we saw him when he was younger. So is this put on? It's mm-hmm. always got to be in the back of your head for the rest of the next play. Yeah. I personally think he proves himself, but it's like, I don't know. It's tricky. It's a tricky one. Well, I'm, I'm not a Lancasterian, so... No. You're, are you a Yorkist? A little bit. Okay. So he's basically like, all of these people made him worse and he can't be around them anymore. So he's banishing them. He's not banishing them from England. He's banishing them from his presence. Within 10 <laughs> miles, they cannot come. So it's a restraining order. It's a restraining order. It's an old-timey restraining order. At first, Falstaff is like, no. No, 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 no. He he wasn't serious about that, you guys. I I promise that we are best friends. I am going to get you high places in the court. As soon as he doesn't have to like put this all on for his public, then he'll like take me in confidence in private and he'll like give me everything I deserve as his best, best friend. And then the justice shows up and he's like, cool, that was very serious. You're all arrested and I'm going to lock you up until we can transport you out of London and away from this guy. And Falstaff's like, ooh, this just got real awkward. I don't know if I can bluff my way out of this one. He can't. He cannot. John, however, Prince John, you'll remember. Yes. Thinks he handled that very well. As we all know, John is notoriously the poster child of honor and knightlyhood and virtue. Yes. So obviously that's the guy you want in your corner when you're making a moral decision. Poor Hal. He got like thrust into this world. I don't think he was ready for it. Yeah, with his sword. Nope. Okay. So I think that's it. Do you have further analysis? I have a little bit of analysis, but I don't know. This is not like my favorite play to analyze. So I just wanted to point out that like basically this whole play is like really driving home the motifs of death. He's like, the king is sick. The king dies. Shallow and Silence are like joking about it. Every time we see them, they're like, ah, we gotta get them in before we're out of this place and like everyone is executed it it really sets the stage for what's to come i think yeah because like the rest of like the plays that we're about to delve into they aren't comedies <laughs> yeah it's almost like we talked to last week about how king henry the fourth is like a comedy with a history in the background yeah but it's like, I think that was kind of just like Shakespeare being like, here's a nice little break because the rest of this series is really depressing. It's like when you have a comic relief episode in the middle of a very sad TV show. Yeah. It's like having Falstaff in this play at all. Yes. I'm sad for Falstaff. <laughs> I think he's a bad guy. I think he like finally at the end is when he got a nat one on his charisma check. I really hope people understand D&D <laughs> things. If they don't, they're not nerdy enough for us. Um... <laughs> But I think, like, one of the things, like, about Falstaff is that, like, he wasn't necessarily, like, trying to be terrible. He was just used to the lifestyle that he had based on being Hal's best friend. But he was also really mistreated by Hal. Yeah. Often. So he kind of just, like, was rolling with the punches and then the punches were just, like, bad and, like, he couldn't roll with them anymore. So. Yeah, it's kind of like everyone was a little mean to him all the time and he just learned to, like, always be taking it as a joke, but it probably wasn't a joke. No. Kind of sad. He is. He's a sad fool. Very funny when he's on stage, but if you think think about him at all he is kind of a tragic character yeah he's also not real so yeah speaking of Falstaff Mm. I brought us a little treat for the end of this because I know this was kind of a sad one I got our friend the poetry daddy (laughs) 
Daddy Percy only. Okay. Um, I feel like I need to explain this. If you haven't listened to English Major Gets Pranked, um, this is ChatGPT writing poems. I got our old friend ChatGPT to write us a poem about Falstaff. Would you like to hear it? Uh, do I have a choice? Absolutely not. <laughs> you audience have a choice. Goodbye. <laughs> we loved having you if you're leaving now. All right, Amy, I need to torture you. Mm -hmm. There once was a man named Falstaff whose figure was quite a comical laugh with his jolly round belly and his wit sharp and smelly. He charm and delight with his craft. In Shakespeare's Henry IV, he did appear a rogue and a scoundrel, but never a fear. For with his quick tongue and his antics so fun, he'd bring the audience close with his cheer. So here's to old Falstaff, a true Shakespearean gem, whose legend will live on and never condemn. For though he was flawed, and often quite odd, he'll always be loved by all men and women. <laughs> you know what? I think that's fitting for Falstaff. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. I hate that it's not bad. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good, but it's not bad. But it's not bad. And I feel like it's something that Falstaff would write himself. Yes. I also do feel that way. Cool. If he was smart enough to write poetry. <sighs> Poor Falstaff. Poor Falstaff. So on a scale of one to ten dinners that you've tricked mistress quickly into giving you at the tavern how would you rate this play like a four i feel that i can feel a four it's just like it could have could have been an email <laughs> could have been an email i'm so hoping you would say that <laughs> one email not three one <laughs> Yeah. Like, could have been just, like, a narrator being, like, and then at the end of Henry the Fourth Part One being, like, and now we must bid adieu to our old king, Henry the Fourth. Alas, illness has taken him from us. And here, how Henry the Fifth has grown. So the adaptation that I watched is the one on Amazon Prime from the BBC, where it's, like, Henry the Fourth Part One and Two. And I had watched like to the end of where Henry the Fourth is. And I was like, okay, I don't remember all of this stuff happening. And I think I mentioned it last week where I like, I was like, I didn't talk about the sex worker that he hooks up with. And I didn't talk about like the mistress at the tavern. And it's because it's in this play. It's because they put it in the movie. And they just like spread out all of the good parts of the movie into the plot of the first one. Ugh. And then at the very end, they're like, the king is sick. The king died. Hell is king now. Hell craps all over Falstaff. The end. <laughs> the end. This rebellion plot, uh, it's fine. Like, we had a rebellion. We did this. We've seen this tree before. We have seen this tree before. So it's like, you can skip it. You can put in the funny stuff, and then the king dies, and on to Henry V. Yeah. Which is a wonderful play. Yes, I'm so excited. I wrote an essay on it. I'm going to bring some analysis. Me too. I didn't write an essay, but I um, I did like a seminar presentation. So yes. I'm going to bring my analysis from that. I'm so excited. We will not be talking about it for a while, but you will get it in two weeks. And we hope to see you then in two weeks. And as always, we're excited and available. I believed in you the whole time, even when you didn't believe in yourself. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>